Hi there, folks. U.S. markets continue to soar to record highs. Is this a bubble or sign of recovery? I'm Aaron Young. Let's find out. Now, streaming right around the world, this is Ticker Today. And it is great to be with you wherever you're joining us from. First... The S&P 500 hitting a record high. What does it mean for US markets and broadly, what does it say about the recovery of the global economy? Kyle Rotter is from Capital.com, joins us now to discuss. Great to have you here, Kyle. Talk to us about your thoughts about those record highs. Yeah, well, I mean, they've been really underpinned the last couple of weeks by just very strong tech earnings. So, I mean, for the first time in history, we saw the S&P 500 close above 5,000. A former president might have called that a very sacred number, potentially. And it does look like a level of exuberance has entered the market on the basis of less uncertainty about the interest rate path forward in the United States, as well as what has been resilient earnings growth, albeit from a very narrow set uh, set of companies. So there's plenty of knocks that you can put on the market, uh, but at the moment, things are looking fairly robust and sentiment is very, very strong. Looking forward to, you know, what remains a a fairly uncertain year ahead with, you know, the presidential election, the the, the rate cycle, as well as this sort of overhanging question as to whether the, the US economy can avoid recession or not. Really interested in what you were saying there about tech stocks. They've obviously been the star of the past few years, but AI also being the term that we keep using as well. Um, Was it AI stocks that have been doing the best, would you say, or just tech in general? I would say big tech, and a part of that story is AI, and a part of that story is what we call, you know, multiple expansion based on, you know, earnings expectations in the future, uh, not that have been realised yet, but what can potentially materialise eventually from the execution of these these AI kinds of products. And we saw some signs of that emerging in some results of some of these big tech companies over the last couple of weeks, and that's why we have seen some of the strong. Uh, reaction markets um, and and the the record highs on the um, S&P 500. But I mean, often the knock when it comes to these sorts of situations is breadth, which is to say how many stocks are actually moving higher in this market. And really, it used to be actually last year, the Magnificent Seven, Tesla's results were pretty poor. So now everyone's talking about this Magnificent Six, which is just those really big tech companies, which are driving most of the earnings growth. So it's a very narrow set of leadership. um, And it does very much hinge on expectations about AI, and then also the ability for some of these companies to continue to execute on their AI strategies and turn hopes into actual profits. There's so many thoughts about AI. A lot of people saying it's a little bit like when machine learning came about, any company that was working on it suddenly was a star performer. Interesting seeing Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, weigh in during the week saying that Apple is about to launch this year the most incredible OS uh, to do with AI. And I wondered to myself whether that is because Microsoft overtook Apple in terms of market cap value. Um, obviously, AI is the term that has no doubt helped Microsoft there as well, and Apple trying to get on it too. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Microsoft has been sort of the, the first mover amongst the very big tech companies, and of course, their acquisition or of part of OpenAI is a, a big part of that. Um, and really, when you're looking at sort of where investors are trying to allocate and pick winners, it's really amongst these sort of six stocks or so. Um, and at the moment, the money is going into Microsoft because they seem to be executing. Uh, Amazon shares actually rallied quite significantly because there were some doubts about its ability to execute and, uh, and the fear that perhaps Amazon Web Services were falling behind on the basis that really the company wasn't able to, to, to implement its AI strategy effectively. That's kind of um, you know shifted a little bit over the last couple of weeks with some promising signs and the results that we received a few weeks ago. But you're absolutely right. Amongst these big tech companies that really want to try and consolidate <clears throat> excuse me, AI dominance, uh, they're really trying to, to paint a very 
uh, strong picture about where they're positioned and how they're going to execute on that. And that's been reflected in share prices when they effectively back that up with you know strong results or at least prove that they're on the path of turning these ideas into profitability. Let's talk about the CPI, right? We're waiting for that to come out. Um, how do you think that that will influence market trends? Uh, yeah, influence it profoundly because what we've seen over the last few weeks is that you know you get these softer than expected CPI numbers. We also had some uh, forecasts from from US Treasury on CPI revisions that were reasonably positive on Friday, and that sort of buys or creates the buy into this idea that the Fed can sort of slowly lower rates this year to try and execute this soft landing for the economy because inflation is moderating. Uh, but there are still signs of a lot of strength in the market. We've got retail sales this week as well, which you know very. Uh, very likely will continue to show robust activity amongst US consumers and US GDP that's growing above trend, which is you know really causing economists to scratch their head because there's this paradox of very strong growth, but at the same time, a significant disinflation. But we get CPI this week. It's expected to show that the, the most significant figure, the core figure, which takes out the volatile items like food and energy, is going to fall to you know basically two and a half to three-year lows at 3.8%, and headline will fall down to about 3%. So markets are still banking on a pretty smooth path forward uh, and, and, and downward trajectory for inflation. Uh, but like anything, uh, markets are, are built on expectations and sometimes those expectations can end up being sort of pulled from underneath you uh, like the proverbial rug. If those uh, figures show perhaps um, stubbornness in coming down, you start to wonder whether this uh, rally in the, the equity market has legs because so much of it is built on uh Diminished expectations of rate cuts, but still, you know, potentially four to five rate cuts this year and, and cuts that could begin as soon as May in the United States. We'll talk about the rates in a minute, but we talk about CPI, we talk about inflation and expectations there. We talk about the US economy recovering more broadly. You have a lot of people who are struggling, as we know, but then there are people yeah. who are, are, are spending $10,000 on a ticket to go to the Super Bowl. It really is an economy <laughs> of a two horse race. Yeah, I, I don't know. For, for a few years now, people have suggested that we're in the second Gilded Age and that, you know, really that um, there's a, a disproportionate amount of the pain being borne on the middle and lower classes because obviously uh, interest rate hikes are, are painful for, for everyone, but those who are highly leveraged, especially in Australia, uh, perhaps at the start of their careers, um, lower income, certainly not as asset rich, are those that tend to bear the, uh, the, the burden of, of interest rates as well as just broad what are cost of living pressures, which obviously interest rate hikes uh, in response to. So there's definitely a two-tier economy going on. There was, you know, just to sort of take it back to the Australian experience again in the RBA decision last week, the questions from the press uh, were very much geared to, you know, how is this fair to sort of slug households? Uh, people are doing it tough with with another sort of um, increase in, in cost of living effectively because, you know, in the long run, it might bring inflation down, but the short run, your, your mortgage repayments are increasing. It's the distribution effects here are, are very painful. And, you know, again, it's the people on lower incomes and, and people who are highly leveraged, most often at the start of their lives and start of their careers, that are asked, being asked to, to kind of do the heavy lifting for the rest of the economy. It sucks for us, is what you're saying. Um, now, talk about uh, the local earnings season as well, uh, becoming busier. Which industries or companies do you think uh, are likely to stand out? We're seeing JB Hi-Fi. Uh, we're watching a lot of the local stocks here too uh, as a sign for how the economy is actually performing. Yeah, I mean, we've got Commonwealth Bank in a few days. And I think, I mean, if you just start at a very high level, that's going to be fascinating because, I mean, for international investors as well, and this is probably why the CBA trades at this really high multiple and at record highs too, no less, uh, compared to the other banks, is that it's a bit of a proxy for the Australian economy, which in a way is to say the Australian housing and Australian consumers. So the next that the next few days will be fascinating because, again, we've got that as a major constituent of our market, very close to record highs. Um, and it will tell us a lot about 
what the, uh, the, the the bank sees as the outlook for the Australian economy, as it, especially as it relates to, you know, obviously households and household health. But I mean, overall, we're looking at an expectations that are fairly subdued, actually, for, for the ASX year 100 and, and reporting season, mostly because we're so heavily skewed towards cyclicals. And really, if you look at anywhere across the world at the moment, earnings growth amongst cyclical companies have been fairly soft. Um, and we don't have those really big tech players that seem to be executing on some of these larger sort of structural thematics as we sort of started the, the conversation with. But I mean, again, CBA in the next few days will be a really telling one. JB Hi-Fi today will be too for, for, for the consumer because a few consumer names over the last couple of weeks are really surprised the upside and you know have caused us to, to scratch our heads once again as to why households continue to spend um, but overall it's, it's going to be a lukewarm earning season more, more likely than not uh, but some of those big players that are exposed to the domestic economy uh, are really going to be able to tell us whether there's you know that continued resilience amongst households or whether rate hikes cost of living pressures you know the cyclical downturn is going to you know really impact company earnings. Kyle, it's such a fascinating time, right? Because companies usually want to be able to crow about how much they're able to make out of each dollar. This time around is a very, very different story because of the Qantas effect, right? You don't want to be a company seen to be doing too well post the uh, recovery, as we talk about, of, of COVID because there are still the lagging effects on the economy and on consumers, and that is really political. No one wants to be Vanessa Hudson having to go and, and sit in front of a Senate committee. No one wants to be uh, Coles or Woolworths at the moment either, right? So do you think that that will be hanging over this earnings season, that companies will be trying to perhaps get out a bit of bad news so that it doesn't look too good? Some companies, yeah. I mean, the ones that you would really look at that um, – uh come under that sort of PR pressure are the utilities companies. AGL actually was a great example that could quadruple their profits uh, over the period um, by virtue of the fact energy prices are so much higher and, of course, consumers are having to pay up higher energy prices to underpin those profits. So there's one there that perhaps didn't take that tack. They, they, they you know, were very um, positive in terms of how they appraised their, their performance. But again, um, it raises questions around fairness and, and you know, effectively who's uh, benefiting from whom. Um, but the banks is an, are another one that are, are always very cautious about trying to crow too much about their performance because, again, higher interest rates um, are, are fantastic for the banks, but it hurts households. The other ones, of course, too, and we've seen this in the last couple of weeks with the, the um, uh, review into you know sort of price gouging, uh, if you will, amongst the supermarkets are, are those names, uh, the kind of margins that they've been able to sort of sustain through this period too. Um, Qantas, Telstra, all those big, um, quite monolithic companies, often uh, ones that were Former, um, you know, uh, uh, public uh, public institutions often uh, come under that kind of um, mm. scrutiny. So yeah. th those are the ones that I think could be facing those PR issues, and we'll have to balance, you know, wanting to deliver for shareholders, but also looking as though that they're serving the community as well. It's funny, isn't it? We don't want them to do too well. These former government-run businesses, even though the float at the time, was sold to mum and dad investors, so we kind of want them to do well. Uh, we've got a story on the ticker website today which comes from Finder. A staggering number of Australians resorting to credit card to navigate financial hardship. Women actually three to four times more likely to resort to a credit card to try and pay off their monthly bills than men. Um, what does this say when we're talking about one part of the economy doing so well and yet stories about cash flow hardship? Which direction does the Reserve Bank look at? I mean... Ultimately, the, the RBA will look at inflation and work backwards. Um, they'll take consideration of financial stability risks and a desire to try and you know keep the labour market fairly stable. But ultimately, they're, they're pretty laser focused on inflation just because that's their mandate. You know, we could ask more from them, but at that point in time, they'd be sort of straying from the job that you know obviously the Australian government through legislation has, has basically given them. But I mean, you, you're absolutely correct and. 
this is sort of something that you might say from using a little bit of economist jargon is sort of late cycle behavior where, you know, uh, there's a very strong period of uh, economic growth. The, the, the labor market becomes relatively tight, incomes pick up, you know, inflation starts to pick up it as well. Uh, but things uh, end up slowing a little bit. Things become a little bit more costly. People revert mm. a resort. Uh, to, to credit card and debt to be able to sustain their lifestyles. Um, yeah. And that's normally a bit of an amber signal that we're en- entering a sort of a more precarious stage of the economic cycle and a potential slowdown, especially as interest rate hikes uh, are implemented yeah. um, and that debt burden becomes more expensive. So that that's very late cycle behavior and pretty consistent with what you would expect at, at where we are um, in terms of the economy right now. And a lot of questions about what happens next with all that debt. Carl Rotter from Capital.com. Always appreciate your time here on Ticker. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Do stay with us. More Ticker after this. You're watching Ticker. We'll have more in just a few minutes. 